0: Hello,
1: I'm Anna Bogutska. And I'm Clarice Lockrey.
0: And you're listening to The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. So this is going to be our first episode and we're going to be talking about AHS Murder House, the pilot.
1: Yeah, it has no name. It's just the pilot. We're aiming overall to keep these episodes about half an hour long, but because there's so much happening in this one and there's so much happening in every first episode and every last episode of each season, those might be a little bit longer. So, what's the first episode about? This is the, from the uh, official American Horror Story Wikipedia, so you know it's the the best description there is. It's legit. The, it's legit <laughs> because also we're really lazy. And can't we bother to write our own synopsis. So, the Harmon family moves from Boston to Los Angeles to recover from Mother Vivian's miscarriage and Father Ben's infidelity with one of his students. Their daughter Violet starts at a new school only to be terrorized by a group of girls. The family deals with intrusive neighbours Constant and her daughter Addie, who has Down syndrome, along with Larry, a previous homeowner who has set fire to his entire family.
0: Fun. Cheerful. <laughs> In the same vein as the pilot episode itself, that synopsis is a lot. I know.
1: <laughs> I feel like reading that, I was like, this is only covering about, I don't know, 20% of what happens. It doesn't even mention Tate, who's... <laughs> Quite a big
0: part of this episode. We're doing this bit by bit, so we're only letting ourselves watch an episode at a time before we discuss it, which is taking up all of my self control. What did you think of the pilot watching it again?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who would have been watching this for the very first time, or I guess me when I was watching it for the very first time and had no idea what American horror story would be and it is really interesting because the pilot is really quite out there it's a it's a lot in terms of the the subjects that are being covered you know miscarriage and self-harm and someone having violent thoughts about wanting to to shoot his classmates which is (laughs) Tate of course Tate um and and the horror and the the blood and it's like it's it's sort of not even that campy and I guess all of Murder House is sort of seems very dark and and straight compared to everything that happens in every subsequent season.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it really took me back to watching it for the first time when it was playing straight. And it's difficult, of course, to go back and rewatch it without projecting what we know now about the show onto it. But just taking it at face value, this is cramming a hell of a lot of plot and a hell of a lot of characters into just under an hour. So I was really struck by just how much work it was doing in terms of literally forcing ev- almost every single character that would eventually appear in the series into this episode. And that created some, I think, unintentionally funny moments when characters just erupt onto the house or onto the scene and lay out their entire backstory without anybody actually asking them about it. Oh,
1: yeah. It was... Well, yeah, people just turn up, in that, which I guess is sort of... Laying down the foundations of, you know, Murder House being this this very busy home of ghosts because there's so many ghosts in there and they're just kind of popping up all over the place. It's a bit like Disney's Haunted Mansion where it's like, yes. hello, I'm the spooky maid. Yes. And <laughs> but then they're even doing that for the people who are alive at this point, like Constance and Addie who just, you just are always in the house for some reason. (laughs) And I don't know if it's ever particularly explained how they just keep coming in.
0: I think that's just an American TV trope. You know, I think people just don't close their doors in those old houses. And there's so many doors. The house is ginormous. I think it's worth noting kind of that even from the very first shot, you know, the prologue of the episode where we meet a girl version of Addie and two creepy twins who are bullying her, making fun of her, and they go into the house and, you know, they get killed. It's sort of already laying out the spookiness of the mansion itself and the way that it's framed and the way that it's shot and everything about it from the way that it's sold as well to the Harmon family. You know, it's such a horror movie cliche to have this naive family from a big city you know who are smart in many ways but evidently not very smart in a supernatural or horror movie sense like they can't really smell danger or things that are too good to be true but it's so cheap yeah <laughs> That's everyone it's so cheap it's so big and bougie but it's so cheap we're such a great deal didn't we oh no it's haunted oh no how could we have guessed (laughs) that this would happen you know and i love the um, the realtor who marcy who discloses to them oh by the way yes it's fabulous look at the fittings look at the stained glass windows oh yes by the way the couple that lived here before uh died in a murder suicide and yeah it was was so nice
1: though (laughs) like oh that's fine then it's fine that they were totally nice and then went crazy and died so i love marcy though she's a great character which i guess we should point out it's a little uh preview of a future season she does make a reappearance in hotel because you know that woman's out there selling properties She's <laughs> the whole way through all of american horror story she's out there selling properties <laughs> doesn't matter if a murder was done on them Still got to sell it and make that money. What do you make of the Harmon family? They, I, I like that they're presented as very, I don't know. They just seem very, like sleek and rich, like TV family. Even though from the offset, you know that they have all these problems. Hmm. You know, they have Vivian recovering from the trauma of the miscarriage. You have Ben, you know, also recovering from the trauma, going off to sleep with one of his students. You have Violet, who is—I don't even know. <laughs> she's she's an angsty teenager, angsty, angsty teenager. Um, hates everything, but then also immediate. I guess she's she's got a little bit of Lydia Dietz to her because oh my when God. yeah, <laughs> yes. when the Marcy said taught, tells them about the, which is I love this bit. She tells them about the murder suicide,
0: and the camera cuts to Violet. And she's she says, "We'll take it." <laughs> She has, I'm so glad you brought that up. She has so much of Lydia in her. I loved it because it's actually, I don't think it's like a necessarily a knowing wink, but she does have that vibe. And, you know, being so kind of moody and dark and gothy and emo and, you know, her parents trying so hard to maintain appearances that they're doing fine. And I'm doing, you know, great podcast content, air quotes here. They're doing okay. (laughs) They're working on it. They're really working on it. And maintaining this kind of facade. And she's like cut through the bullshit. And really drawn towards the morbid and the dark. And kind of speaks up even in an impertinent way. And I love that about it. I think it's a great. I love a a moody teenage girl in film and TV.
1: And she wears big hats. She seems to be the. I like how they styled her as a you know she's not a goth she dresses kind of like a I don't know like a 90s teen she yeah. has sort of those ankle length dresses and cardigans and the big hat but she has the big hat which I think is the indicator of the big black brimmed hat it's like oh that person loves a loves loves a ghost story loves a little bit of morbidity
0: yeah, and she fits right in as well with Tate, who we didn't mention in the synopsis, but who were introduced pretty early on as one of Ben Harmon's new clients in his new L.A. Um, house therapy office. And Tate is literally looks like a discount Kirk Cobain. Oh, yeah. And when
1: he's talking to music with Violet, she's like, should we listen to Morrissey? Because he's such a loner and he hates the world. (laughs) And He says, oh, have you got any Kurt Cobain? That is some beautifully stereotyped writing from these two teenagers. But I guess it is realistic in a sense that these sort of like these dumbass teens who are trying to be edgy would think Morrissey and Kurt Cobain are absolutely like revolutionary cool
0: niche musical figures the first introduction of Tate is in a psychiatrist's office and we know nothing else about him and he instantly starts going into his darkest fantasies and this this is such an it's mostly an American phenomenon isn't it kind of the the disaster of school shootings and we get this cut to tate decked up in black and going through the hallway and just that image which isn't violent but it instantly conjures up the exact uh idea of a school shooting and the fact that he's talking about this kind of with such a glee and such a ferocity already makes him quite a menacing figure don't you think
1: yeah and i th- i found it really interesting going back to see you know, in, I don't know, it's like in 2011, obviously, school shootings were a thing that was happening. But the fact that since that time, they've only increased in frequency, and they've only become a bigger and bigger part of American sort of the American society and the American mindset. Um, and it's become a bigger and bigger part of the conversation, I guess. So I I think it's, that's what is so odd about murder house to me is that I think the inclusion of those fantasies is, I don't know. It was kind of like in the pilot, it's sort of Ryan Murphy trying to be edgy at a time when maybe that felt more acceptable to include. And are just like, Oh, I'm trying to be edgy and push the boundaries away. I think now it makes me feel a little uncomfortable, Mm. but I understand that, you know, it was 2011 and it, it wasn't such a, I don't know. It's hard because obviously they, they were happening in 2011, but I think Mm. like in the past few years, it's become just more and more frequent to the point that it's, it's sort of, it's such a huge wound in American, like in the sort of American, the fabric of American culture. It's this giant gaping wound. And Mm. I think, I don't know if you could I don't know if Murder House could be made in 2020, really.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the other film that I was thinking about as I was watching this is actually Heather's. Partly because both Violet, because of the smart, but sort of not really fitting in and kind of angsty and a bit depressed and gothy teen girl, but also the figure of Tate really reminded me of Christian Slater's character in Heather's and the fact that he is so alluring and charismatic and I think that a lot of it is down to Evan Peters as an actor but he is scary, you know, there's his face, even the fact that he is so young and so handsome in this season he was not a teenager when they were making this, but He's very young and he does look like quite cherubic with his blonde Kurt Cobain-y hair and his ripped jeans and stuff. And then he's talking about and visualizing and verbalizing these horrible scenarios that now in 2020 seem even more triggering. Because there's just been, like you said, such a succession of them. I think in retrospect, Tate Langdon becomes an even more scary figure than maybe he was in 2011?
1: Yeah, it was the same way that Heather's, you know, they had this Heather's TV show that was meant to come out. Yeah. And it just got, they just couldn't air the pilot because there were so many violent events that were happening each week that they never had the opportunity to air the pilot and they full-on canceled it because it's, you know, Heather's at the time was this sort of very you know, sharp, but like really funny and sort of weird comedy. And I think the idea of, of, a uh, can I t- say what the ending of Heathers is or should I not? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's,
0: it's, thir- it's over 30 years old. I think, yeah. Spoilers yeah. for Heathers.
1: <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for Heathers. But, you know, the idea of, of this kid coming in with, you know, strapped to dynamite, was just like kind of ridiculous and absurd and it was meant to be more of a metaphorical representation of, you know hatred and, and simmering tension within like you know school social circles, and it, yeah, it is weird to go back to watch Heather's now, and it's like that that image has inched closer and closer to reality. Uh, yeah, I think it's great to bring up Heather's because Heather's and this season of American Horror Story sort of both both exist very much in their own time, and I think they could not be taken out of their time, and I think. If if someone is watching this for the first time, I think maybe it's good to keep that in mind of like when, when this was made and that this was not made in 2020.
0: Yeah, agree. A lot of the pilot episode is kind of laying out the basic premise, which we've discussed, and a lot of the characters that are going to be the leads of the show. And who's a bigger character than Constance, who's played by Jessica Lang, who I read makes her first consistent appearance on a television show in her career with this season because she apparently refused any television offers that she'd been made before because they were for network television and required too much of a time commitment
1: I think this was the first role that was really worthy of Jessica Lange because she she's had so many iconic movie roles and we've only it took until 2011 I think to to come up with like really really great parts for her specifically to play
0: yeah and I think Ryan Murphy has spoken about this quite a lot and he I don't think it's you know flippant to say that he in this show in particular is responsible for resurgence in Jessica Lange's career or you know she's an amazing actress and I think deeply underrated kind of in what in the amount of amazing roles and the success that she's had and the different peaks in her career. But as an actress over a certain age in Hollywood, she wasn't doing that much in this meaty but quite campy and fun role that came along. It's fantastic. And she would go on to do so many other roles for Murphy's show too. And she just bursts into, literally bursts into the house and onto the show and it's just full on Southern Belle walking around like she owns every single room,
1: and the just I love the fact that she bursts into this home and just starts, just starts talking at Vivian. <laughs> and Connie Britton in this scene is so brilliant. If you're watching her face, and and it's that very specific reaction of, I'm listening to you. I'm not going to say anything rude. But please leave, please. Oh my god, <laughs> because this woman is basically coming to her home, and and she's racist. In within the first five seconds, she's homophobic. She, so many really things deeply, deeply. Yeah, but like but not in a in aggressive way. is it's that very sort of subtle. I guess it's like wrapped up in in the Southern charm. So she's not in a situation where she can be like, get out, you, you disgusting person. Yeah, She just has to kind of go, uh-huh. Yeah, great. Yes. Oh, doggy daycare. Very cute.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> love it. it. It's such a, I love that scene because it's so telling about both Constance and Vivian as characters. Vivian is this like bougie, yummy mummy. And I love the details of all, all of her lifestyle choices you know mind you this is again the context is important this is 2011 this is before everyone is vegan and everyone is eating organic like you know she's so in your face about you know mindfulness and healthy living and like tote bags instead of paper bags to bring her shopping in she doesn't let her family drink from water from plastic bottles that's an actual quote from the show so like she's very in your face about kind of taking care of what her family eats and how they live so this like contrast with the intensity and un PC Monologue that Constance just throws at her is just so magnificent.
1: Yeah, she's comes in, and I think it's, it's not that scene, it's the later scene where she just starts smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She says, Can I smoke? But she's already lit a cigarette. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: brilliant. Well, what do you think of Vivian as a character? She's sort of the reason, in a way, that they're moving to this house? I think she in this season is the one character
1: that you do really root for, I guess Violet to some extent as well. But as much as she is a little bit of that stereotype of like, you know, upper middle class mother, like very fussy about everything. The reality is, is that a lot of that need to be controlling and a lot of that tension in her is from the trauma of the miscarriage. So I think it's just something you instantly relate, and you can kind of relate instantly relate to that pain, and it just explains everything that she's doing. And and even if she she comes off as quite, you know, because she keeps brushing off her husband all the time, being like, no, no, not into mm-hmm. it, don't really do that. Which it, I think, yes yeah, it's it's because he had the affair, but you know, there's also that that feeling she says at the beginning she doesn't feel like she's in control of her body which is like that's a really really tough thing to not feel like you're in control of your own body so yeah I really I really like her and I think for a show that's so much about oversized ridiculous characters like Constance you look at someone like Vivian it's like oh yeah that's a that's a real person <laughs> feeling real emotions and coming from a very real place and I like that
0: hmm and I think she articulates her own boundaries and her own trauma quite well.
1: Yeah, and and I think maybe my favorite scene in this episode is the argument they have at the end between Vivian and Ben, hmm. and it all sort of comes out. It's all about the affair and the miscarriage and how they were dealing with it, and and he's like, you know, I wanted you to be there. I needed you and you got a dog, which <laughs> it, and that's what's so great about that scene is it keeps it keeps tiptoeing the line between sort of very serious and relatable to completely ridiculous.
0: Hmm.
1: You you go from this like I felt so lonely. I was in so much pain and you got a dog, which is <laughs> ridiculous. And it's I love the dog. The dog's like this little tiny rat. <laughs> Thing. Oh, and it's so cute and so kind of disgusting at the same time yeah I love I, it
0: I just find it disgusting
1: <laughs> yeah um, but it's like disgusting cute little tiny rat thing
0: <laughs> one of my favorite characters as well is Moira Moira the maid who is instantly presented to us as sort of a, a supernatural being because So when she is talking to Vivian and we see her from Vivian's point of view, she's played by Frances Conroy. So when she's seen by Ben, she's played by Alexandra Breckenbridge. And she's wearing like this skimpy, you know, party city version of a maid's outfit. And she's so in your face, seductive towards Ben. She's mega horny. Yeah. She's so horny all the time. But it's also played up in such a campy way that it's almost, like, assaulting. Like, it's something so lurid. You can totally see someone like Ben, who we've already been told had an affair with a 20-year-old student, being attracted to this very, very basic sexual manipulation.
1: Mm. Like, the idea that he opens the door and she's, like, feeling herself up. And it's just perfectly angled so that her, her, like, vagina is door-pointed. (laughs) Yeah. like it's such a perfect positioning so he opens the door it's like he opens the door and you see the cam the camera's watching the door open and it's like door opening and vagina <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah it's such it is such an over-the-top sexuality that isn't a real woman that's a that's a fantasy
0: yeah and we get that really clearly and also one of the the cliffhangers of the episode that i love which sort of you know hints at what's to come is when and at the relationship the really tense relationship between Constance and Moira is that line that Constance throws at her where she's like don't make me kill you again i love that and
1: that's a great cliffhanger because it's so without context of what their relationship is was will be what what where were they in time in history like it's just and it's dropped so casually like it's such a brilliant way to end that episode I mean I guess it's not the because you have the other twist at the end which is it too early to go into the the secondary twist no go for it well because you have that which already you're like what sorry and then you have Vivian coming home Thing, like she's like I really feel like Indian food Yes. and Ben's like but you only want Indian when you're pregnant and then she well, she doesn't say anything she just goes eh, eh, eh. yes <laughs> and it is revealed that she's pregnant which would seem like just great nice lovely news if not for the way that the baby was conceived is
0: a little unusual well this is going to be Yeah, we skimmed over that, but there's actually two (laughs) Vivian sex scenes in this episode. One with Ben, which is a big deal for those characters because, you know, we're told explicitly that they haven't been intimate in like six months, if not more. And that it's a big sticking point for Vivian. So then they finally get to have sex. It's a big thing. There's sort of, you know, a rift in the relationship has been sorted. And then Ben... Or someone, he's only credited as the rubber man, shows up in a full-on leather gimp suit. And it's a very Rosemary's Baby type sex scene. Yeah.
1: And Vivian's reaction is really interesting because she spent so much time being repelled by Ben. And sort of repelled by sex in general. Mm. And then they have sex once. And then, yeah, someone's turning up in a (laughs) gimp suit. And she's like, hey, you're down to get kinky. I could do that. <laughs> like, it's, it's an interesting... It, it, it seems really strange, like, her sudden shift from being so repelled to, like, I'll get down with anything. Yeah, bring that PVC over to me. It is it is really dis- like odd in the context of that episode, but I guess... It is part of the mystery of it.
0: Why did any of this happen? I think it's part of the over-the-top nature of the series. You're either on board or you're not. It's the question of, you know, is this your jam or is it not? Yeah. But then it's also kind of the the pressure of setting up everything in the pilot. Which is why I tend to always dislike pilots in general and kind of give them give a series the benefit of the doubt if I don't enjoy the pilot, they usually suffer so much from having to cram in so much information. I think the weirdness is on
1: purpose and I think maybe you're meant to feel a bit strange about the whole scene because you Mm. don't... And her reaction to it of like, why is she so suddenly, you know, down to clown with (laughs) this situation? Down to clown? I don't know why I said down to clown. But you know, she's like very... She goes from being very, very not down with it to very, very down with it. And I think we're, we're meant to feel a, a bit uncomfortable with that mm. because it, it she doesn't quite seem like this. Like she doesn't seem like the same character in that scene. Mm. And I feel like that is on purpose.
0: Interesting. Okay, so we get a glimpse into everyone's lives, including Violet. So she, we're told it's not the first time that she's been moved to schools. And we get this lovely shot of her smoking with her big floppy hat in her new school. And instantly she gets in trouble with some of the cool mean girls, the Regina Georges of her LA high school.
1: Yeah. Although I feel like they're more Heathers because they are... I find that main bully instantly psychotic. I'm really scared by her. Because (laughs) Violet's smoking and this girl like storms over screaming about how... She shouldn't be smoking because there was a, a rule, and then the other one says that secondhand smoking killed her grandmother, and that's fine. I think it's when she then turns to her to Violet and says, Eat it or I'm gonna kick the shit out of you. Which and she's screaming it in her face, like, mm. eat it and I or I will kick the shit out of you. And it's just such an intense Intense, like, bully reaction to someone. This girl has never met Violet, and she's instantly like, I'm gonna make you eat this cigarette. I don't know. It, did I just have a very tame school experience that I find that really
0: insane? No, I totally agree. Actually, uh, Heather's is the better comparison because Heather's is also just as aggressively violent in its language as well as its imagery. But, um, I mean, I've been bullied by girls like that. That seems entirely realistic to me. And we're told later on, and kind of the way that Tate and Violet conspire to make Violet's life at this high school a little more bearable is by scaring the shit out of this girl in retaliation. So it's like, it's the currency of fear in high schools, right? It's like Mm -hmm. this girl, who is a total psycho, is just sniffs out someone who's new, and knows instantly that she, she has to overpower her, and she needs to make her afraid of her. And Violet gets in her face because she isn't afraid of her. She's just like an an annoyance because you know we're told that well she's got bigger shit she needs to deal with, but also it's not her first bully, mm. which is quite sad.
1: Yeah, and she's a very convincing fake drug dealer Yeah, she up and she's like hey i've got the cool shit the cool drugs that you need because i'm a drug dealer so come to my house
0: yeah i've got a hat on i totally deal drugs yeah that's why come to my house
1: <laughs> best drugs there are you've never seen such good drugs wow amazing <laughs> then she has to, she's like i i had to show my tits to a guy the wharf to get this cocaine which <laughs> 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 i think if you I would like to enter inside Violet's brain at that moment as she's coming up with these lines of dialogue of like, I have to be a cool drug dealer.
0: I (laughs) I showed my tits to a guy down at the wall. I mean, all of it is just so ridiculous. But, you know, then cue the only really scary scene in the episode, the really straightforward horror scene of the episode is Violet taking this girl down to her basement And Tate wearing the Normal People Scars t-shirt, might I add? Normal People Are Scary t-shirt, sorry. Kind of proceeds to, like, lights are flashing. It's very jump scary. And he's sort of just yelling and jumping on this girl. And then we get a flash of something else.
1: Yeah, teeth and claws and maybe kind of feathers a little bit.
0: Mm. Intriguing. I mean, that's the thing that really made me want to watch the next episode, gotta be honest. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the spooky shit that I'm here for. Again, it's it's dropping those, those very
1: weird things completely out of context, which I think this pilot's quite good at. Mm. And you see that, you see that flash of whatever that thing is, and instantly, you need to know what it is. I need to know what that thing is immediately, otherwise
0: I will not be able to sleep at night. So I think we've covered most, if not All of the things that happen in a pilot. There's a lot. And one of the things that we thought would be fun. In doing this podcast. Was to have. Picks of some of our favorite bits. Things that reoccur consistently. Over American Horror Story. And. Give us a chance to revel a bit. In what we love about the show. So I mean. The dialogue is incredible. What would be your top quote for the episode?
1: My top quote is mostly about the way it's delivered but it's when Dylan McDermott goes I screwed up and it's like it goes up like six (laughs) octaves and I don't know like I I know I screwed up on its own it's not an iconic quote but the Mm. way it's delivered is how about you
0: I think my favorite is when Moira when she's talking to Ben so she's all sultry over the top ridiculous sexy she's like your wife's not home she's probably at Pilates It just made me crack up so much.
1: Great. (laughs) Was she actually at Pilates? Did we...
0: We never find out, but I just thought it was such a good jab at Vivian. (laughs) She probably was at Pilates. There are several things that always happen in an American Horror Story episode. And... There's always a naked man. There's a... Male nudity is much more privileged in American Horror Story than female nudity is. And for that, we're grateful.
1: Very grateful. Thank you, Ryan Murphy, wherever you are right now. Hope you're having a nice time.
0: <laughs> so what's the what's the top naked man moment? Well, there's just one. There's like, mm,
1: is there one naked? Do we see multiple butt? Or just single butt?
0: Just single butt, I think, in this yeah. one.
1: Well, it's one of the best naked man moments of the show. Overall, which is it's just Ben Harmon masturbating over a desk while looking out the window and crying because <laughs> the saddest one in television history. Sexy Moira. This is after the door vagina incident. Yeah. And he's so overcome. I just hate that he's masturbating over a desk.
0: Yeah, it's just really sad. It's a real. Charlie Brown moment for Ben there. I'd agree with you. I was going to say when he sleepwalks naked and turns on the fire and just looks into the fire naked. Oh, true. There is butt there as well. Yeah. There's multiple butt of the same man. Multiple butt of the same man. Okay. Then in every episode there's always a winner in a sense because a lot of the underlying dynamics between all the characters are always about taking power and competing with one another to one degree or or another. So who is the MVP of this episode? It's hard because we've got several sort of strands of competition
1: being set up. I feel like Constance is definitely winning her round. But then I think, well, I guess not Tate, because at the end of the episode, Violet's so horrified by this basement prank that she says, like, get out of my life, I never want to see you again. So maybe he's not winning. But he, he seems quite pleased with himself through this whole episode. So
0: he's doing something. I don't know. How about you? I don't know. It's hard. How about you? I want to say for the whole episode, Constance, just because she's the only character who knows more than anyone else. That's true. And she really flaunts it as well. She flaunts it to Vivian especially, who she's incredibly condescending to. And she knows the nature of everyone. And she knows the house more than anyone. And just kind of the way that she carries herself just exudes this knowingness about her that I find really creepy and also extremely interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. The American Horror Story takes place overall across many decades, and Ryan Murphy loves to sort of go back and forth between the decades. He loves to drop in a little bit of a historical reference. And as we go through this show, you will meet many famous figures (laughs) from history in weird and then sometimes kind of a bit insensitive situations. And so we decided to come up with a category called Insensitive Historical Reference of the Week because... He loves a bit of history, but he doesn't. He doesn't always think about what he's doing with the history. So, do you do you have a candidate for this? I think I have one. Go for it. We haven't really talked about it because it's not a huge amount to say about it. But um, we do see that Violet is self-harming, and and there's kind of this idea of a lot of blood. Blood is sort of a, a theme in this, and Tate is also talking about how in his fantasies, he wants to kill the people because it's like the letting out of blood. Does this is the Smoky says it's confusing in the show as well. But mm-hmm. um, he then starts to talk about how Native Americans would let out blood and sort of like deliberately sort of create cuts in their skin and let out blood to let out the bad spirits every once in a while, which I thought was there was unnecessary. I don't know. Oh, that's a good catch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you talking about? Leave them out of this. They've yeah. got, you, they've got their own stuff to be dealing with. Don't start bringing up indigenous traditions in your weird little rant about uh, wanting to do a school shooting.
0: To be fair, it's be such, a, such a such a tight thing to say, though.
1: It is a very tight thing to say. But I feel like that's the only, that's kind of the only historical reference in this episode. Yeah, there's Unless so many more but
0: to come, difficult. though.
1: Yeah, this will get this section will get better. Don't worry about it. So we'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of American Horror Story Murder House. Uh, This one is called Home Invasion. Interesting. Fun. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. I am at
0: Clarice Liu. And I'm on Anna Be Demented. Do we want to offer a glimpse of what's to come in the next episode? Oh, yeah. Do you want to do it? So in the next episode... Ben gets a new patient, and we get our first flashback to something else that happened in the house. We get to learn a little bit more about the murderous history of the house.